Welcome to the Screaming Queen's Christmas special. My name's Jonathan Larkin. I'm Stephen Watt. I'm Ho 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 Martin Ferretti. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jonathan Butler. Right, so for many people, Christmas is about consuming iPads, toys, clothes, food, mince pies. We've even got mince pies here at the table. But for some, Christmas is a dark and haunted time of year. If New Year's Eve is when 2017 dies, then Christmas Day is that last gasp in its sickbed. <laughs> <laughs> that moment when just before life leaves the body, doors moan open, floorboards creak underfoot and ghosts appear to beckon you into the final blackness. So it's no surprise that the likes of Charles Dickens, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and most infamous of all, M.R. James chose this time of year to hold court in front of a roaring fire whilst their audiences clung to their sherry and port feeling the icy chill of a good old-fashioned ghost story. At the beginning of the 20th century, Montague Rhodes James, a scholar and provost at King's College, Cambridge, made a tradition of putting the willies up his academic colleagues around the fire on Christmas <laughs> Eve. And about 70 years later, nearly 40 years after his death, that tradition was brought back from the dusty dead, but it wasn't just posh boys from Cambridge being thrilled by these creepy tales. It was anyone with a television. In 1968, the BBC show Omnibus gave us Whistle and I'll Come to You, but it was from 1971 to 1978 that the iconic series A Ghost Story for Christmas really hit the peak of creepy, creaky TV. So grab a glass of port, polish off a mince pie, and try not to focus on that scratching sound outside the bedroom door. Tonight's all about ghost stories, and we've got some pretty scary ones lined up just for you. Starting with The Signal Man, screened in 1976, which, after all the fuss I've just made, isn't by M.R. James, but by Charles Dickens. And we've literally just watched it, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Um, it's very sick. So, yeah, I mean, th- th- this was a first for us, wasn't it? Because usually we'll watch a film, like, separately and come together, like, a week later and discuss it. But tonight we thought, because it's just a short film, we'd cram it in before we actually start the podcast so it's fresh on all of our minds what was everyone's reaction to it i've seen it before yeah I, so i watched it a second time it had lost some of the creepiness mm. but it's a good it is a good it's a great ghost story and it is creepy and yeah it's just all about the unknown and yeah. not really understand what's going on around you put into context there were eight of these short films throughout the 70s they ran from 71 to 78 and they went The Stalls of Barchester, A Warning to the Curious, Lost Hearts, The Treasure of Abbot Thomas, The Ash Tree, The Signalman, Stigma and The Ice House. So The Signalman's actually a late one in the series, isn't it? Um, mm. And most of them were M.R. James, but this was the first one that they adapted to be by Charles Dickens. And what I thought was interesting watching it was that it wasn't as posh as all the others. Mm. It was about a working man yeah. who was clearly yeah. from a working class background, which I thought really set it apart in a way. And I don't know whether that might have been a um, a conscious thing on the BBC's part. Maybe they wanted to tell a story with a more working class protagonist, maybe. I don't know if that was on purpose. It was funny because there was actually a moment in it where the traveller asks the signal, are you a scholar? And he says, yeah. a scholar? Me? No. <laughs> and it was almost like they were saying, this is going to be completely different from all the other mm. ones you've seen. Because in, epi- in every other film... They refer to themselves as a scholar. It's a scholar, isn't it? Yeah. I was very confused why they kept using the word scholar every single time and I was like when it popped up on this one I was like well then it is again yeah, yeah. but well, it's not but I guess it's because M.R. James worked in a university yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. all he knew he was writing what he knew wasn't and he? he was in a university town yeah. whereas Charles Dickens wrote about all you know, people from all classes and yeah. he went out of his way to point out the plight of people who were just ordinary who yeah. weren't rich 
Yeah. You know, about what their lives were like. So the nature of his stories would be they'd be filled with ordinary people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. It is about writing what you know, isn't mm. it, in a way? And funnily enough, it's it's um, it's been documented, hasn't it, that this was inspired by something that happened to Charles Dickens anyway, because he was involved in a railway crash. So the railway crash in this was inspired by what he went through. Right. Yeah, he was on a, he was on a train that crashed um, the year before. So it was published in 1866, that's right, so we, the crash was in 1865 and he was on board the train, but he survives, obviously, but he... Um, what do you do? Another rug pull by Jonathan Butler there. <laughs> Sorry. Well, maybe. But he hmm. went through being rescued and helping people who were dying and stuff, so... Obviously, a lot of the stories that are told in the it's really creepy. Yeah, it's then going right about it as well. I suppose it's like therapy, though, isn't it? It's going to haunt you, so you may as well make some money off it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. another people's death and misery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't that different then, I suppose, was it? No. So well, at least it was his own misery yeah. as well. So the story is basically that uh, it's about a traveller, isn't it? So they're both nameless. There's the, the, the traveller and the signalman. And he, the sort of the traveller sort of happens upon this um, railway signalman in the middle of the night. Don't quite know what he's doing down there. I'm thinking he's cruising. And then they strike up a bit of a friendship, don't they? He sort of goes into his, his little um, his cabin. His cabin yeah. And they develop. I mean, it's quite a common thing, actually, for old Victorian ghost stories to have like men developing friendships out of nowhere, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe that's where the bromance was born. It definitely was a bit of a bromance. I suppose all the women were at, at home having children. That's true, yeah. So it would have already been men interacting yeah. with each other. Yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah. Women were in their place. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nobody would believe that there's a woman outside the house now. <laughs> <laughs> too far fetched. Gone too far. Uh, so, yeah, the signalman regales him with, t- with tales of ghosts and stuff, doesn't he? What did you think, Stephen? Oh, it was a really atmospheric. It had that good sense of like, what you want from like a proper ghost story where it's just like you can feel the cold sort of like like trying to warm up by the fire and it's kind of puts you that much there that you're invested in it and it feels like you're there with them and it's just all of the atmosphere and it was just building nothing had to happen mm-hmm. like that was jumpy or anything like that like it has a conclusion that's shocking but it's not about that it's about getting you there yeah. and getting you in that space and I think it was really effective mm-hmm. the way it done it was I was immersed yeah definitely I love the fog Mm. I loved all of the mm. fog. I thought yeah. it looked amazing. That one shot, I, I remember particularly where he's he walks out the tunnel. The signalman walks out the tunnel and it's just the smoke just rising from the top mm. half of the tunnel. And yeah. he's just still. So that, that just that single shot alone was amazing. Yeah, just so good. There were loads of shots that went. If you Google ghost stories for Christmas, BBC, all the shots that they use are from this one. Yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. There's all lots of little yeah, silhouette type. The spirit is the front cover of the, the, the DVD, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it is. It's that kind of Victorian kind of fog, like that mystery thing, which I always love anyway. And mm-hmm. as soon as you put that into something, um, game, the, the the thing was creepy. Like the man's actual face. The yeah. So it was like a warning. It was like a warning of doom, like a harbinger yeah. of doom, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Really. It was like a waxen face wasn't like it a death mask. like a death yeah, mask, it was like yeah. a death mask it was interesting that pretty much all the stuff that happens in the present with one or two exceptions is just those two fellas mm. it's just the traveller and the signalman yeah. and you just and it, it just works really well to give that sense of being in the countryside and it being very very 
isolated. You're isolated down in this deep yeah. sort of railway cutting that's mm. you know, that's that's dug out through the rocks so the the you know, the actual land is above you. But even when you're on the land it's like it's just more land, isn't it? Yeah, There's barely anything around. Point, you never see another person. Didn't that one point the traveller call it an unnatural valley? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really good. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's true. And I think that's true of the best of the ones we're going to talk about tonight is that feeling of isolation mm-hmm. was really... It's it's really part... It's part of it, isn't it? The isolation is a character in the story, really, because mm-hmm. it makes you feel extra creeped out and extra vulnerable. Because you can't use the presence of anybody else as an explanation for anything that's mm. happening. Yeah. But also you you haven't got the luxury of there being anybody else there to, to mm. save you from whatever you might need to be saved yeah. from. There's the innate creepiness, isn't it, of doing night work on your own somewhere? Yeah. Mm. It's like, um, I imagine, like, if you worked in, like, a, you know, like, if you worked in, like, a, a shell garage, even, or somewhere, <laughs> you know. So I've always thought a garage is a really good, would be a really good set for a horror movie, an all-night garage, because yeah. you're just there on your own with people coming to you, aren't you? But you'd see some weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> Working yeah. in an all-night garage. <laughs> and I bet you'd get plenty of times where people just appear yeah. from nowhere Face in front of you. Yeah. No, actually, this is going to be like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like Working in retail. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I used to have to go down to the, um, there was like a faraway stuff room. You got your stuff called the faraway stuff room, but it was the faraway stuff room. Um, I used to work there for like six hours by myself, and I'd just be like filing away shoes and stuff. And then, like, if someone actually come in, I'd be like, who's that? Yeah. And like, poking my head around and like looking through the things to see if someone was actually coming in, or whether I was just hearing things. Oh. And I used to scare the shit out of me. Yeah. There are those moments, I think, because I've been in that situation where... Have you ever been in the situation where you're working on your own somewhere quiet and you don't think about it, you're just doing it, and then suddenly you go, I'm on my own and it's yeah, really yeah. quiet. <laughs> and then from there on in, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. So I imagine that's what the signal is. Thinking about pipes and stuff like yeah. that and become very loud. Yeah. Yeah. When I worked in Smiths, the Smiths, the, the talk was that the stock room... What was the stock room upstairs? I think it's part of River Island now in town. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and the talk whilst the stockroom was haunted. Um, and there, there were times I was in there on my own, and you'd see something at the corner of your eye, and you're like, what was that? Yeah. It, it was freaky. And here we are, telling ghost stories around the fire. Mm-hmm. So some of the dialogue was amazing. Some of the words that they used were really creepy. I love the mind makes its own places. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. I thought that was really creepy. And I then, think that all of these that we watched, like, the use of language was really effective. Mm-hmm. For all that, I just feel like every word was kind of thought out and chose specifically to set you yeah. up into that situation. Yeah. Like, I don't think they just writ a line. I think everything was thought out. Everything was really crafted, I thought. My favourite bit of that is when the signalman is talking about how dangerous it is, that it's it's his you know, The work isn't very demanding, but it's really, really responsible. Yeah. And it's a signal box by a tunnel, and he goes on to say the tunnel collisions are the worst and the language he uses to describe that is yeah. really it's very subtle but it's quite but it's very very it's very vivid so it's just yeah it's because the confined space it compresses the wreckage in a really in really disastrous yeah. way and you the screams of the in, injured are, um are peculiar in a most persistent way and it's just like you yeah. just that is, it's just such an understated language but it's actually it's horrifying there was something he said in it about um, 
where he was talking about the air, the air vents yeah. in the tunnel creating it became a, a, a furnace, furnace a furnace flue a furnace, furnace flue, flue. Yeah. yeah and I thought that was really vivid yeah so really it'll draw it'll draw the smoke out mm. so the fire can just keep burning yeah oh yeah. and I think what's also creepy about it is that he's describing these really horrific situations but it's like where he's talking about it is really calm Mm. And like, like he's not over dramatizing it. He's just kind of stating it. No, I think there's something about Dunholm Elliot's face when he's talking about it, though, where you almost feel like there is horror mm. in his face. You yeah. think something is he's seen there's something. He's yeah. seen this. He's not just imagining it. Just imagining it. Yeah. he's experienced yeah. it. You can see it on him. Yeah, but he's not saying it in his it, voice. Yeah, he's not. Which is why it's unsettling. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's a moment where they, where they are Martin would have noticed the smile on my face at this bit because I thought it was just pure heaven uh, the moment where they're listening to the wind hmm. and uh, he says uh, the hmm. wild harp it makes of the telegraph wires it's yeah. really <laughs> poetic it's just amazing and I love a good wind sound effect as well <laughs> it's really freaky, really creepy um, so this one so people hold this up as the best of the lot and I'm, I'm not sure I agree because there's others that I really love as well but why do you think they held this one up I, I found it actually quite depressing as I was watching it I kind of got the feeling that it was it's less about in the, in the signal man for me he takes it as a warning it, you know there's something he should do to prevent this yeah but I didn't I didn't see that I, to me it's about this is what's going to happen. So he, he's literally, mm. he's just an observer. Yeah. Nothing he can do. So he's looking for something to do to change this, but he can't. And it's literally just face. He's just got to watch it happen. Yeah. And and that's even worse. That's just, yeah. at least if there's something you can do, you can try, but I don't think he realises it. So that's why it goes, it's yeah. extra, like sad and depressing, I think. It's this your first time seeing it? Yeah, yeah, it's the first time I've seen it. And was it your first yeah, time, Stephen? So did you expect him to be the victim at the end? I got that that was going to happen. Because I don't think I did the first time I watched yeah. it. I was expecting there to be another crash in the tunnel. Yeah. But then when it does when it does hit him, I was kind of, yeah, mm. that makes sense now. I think I originally wondered whether there was there was actually some connection with the Traveller. Yeah. He thinks he's seen him before. And I know it's because of the language. Yeah, it turns out because it's because of the language that he uses and the way that he yeah. waves. But I wondered whether the twist was going to be actually the traveller maybe doesn't exist and he's yeah, actually been part of a he's a spirit he's a spirit yeah. or he's a forewarning he does exist but he's a he's always forewarning of his own yeah death but I think the fact that the sick woman is the victim at the end is the most terrific thing because mm. it's his confusion and his mm. frustration and and trying to solve it. and just trying to solve and think what does he have to do to yeah. try and avoid these disasters happening what's the spectre but trying to tell him that's he it never yeah. understands and that's yeah. for me it's that he never could and he no. never will because he can't and no. that, that's even worse yeah that's more horrific no yeah. man has power to change what's yeah. going to happen yeah although ironically dickens most famous ghost story for christmas you know, it's about someone changing the ways so they can change the future. <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah, that's true. That's his family friendly ghost story, though, isn't it? That's like his fantasy. Yeah. It's still kind of creepy. It has got its creepy moments, definitely. But yeah, no, for me, I thought it was sad. It was, yeah. It was sad the second time around watching it because I knew what was going to happen as mm. well. And I just thought. It, it is all it's almost about the futility of it all as well. Mm. And it's someone, like you say, scrambling to understand and try and do things, try and 
help people, try and save people. And then he comes to the conclusion, talking to the traveller, doesn't he, that he has to just sort of get on with it mm. and not and not worry about it so much. Mm. But the whole time, after all, so after all that he's gone through, after all the stress of it, he actually just dies, and it's mm. just really sad. It's not the only sad bit that the, the bride was. Yeah, that was, I was shocked. That, that was surprisingly uh, brutal. I thought. Yeah. So there's a moment. So so the the, the guy so the the spe- the sort of spectre of doom is warning him about a different. It's the second incident, isn't it? Fatality each time. So the second one, a bride in a, in a wedding dress is like thrown out of a. She's she thrown out. She, she definitely looked like she was getting attacked. Was, was she thrown out, or was she trying to? Was she? Was she trying to jump? 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 And they were. And they were trying back. to prevent her, and it's never explained. Because yeah. I think, is it you? Is this a woman who's been? I was thinking, is it, is she trying to just yeah. escape? She's been forced to marry, mm. or she looked a bit deranged, like not like. Did you get a weird shot of some black leather gloves as well, just before glove, yeah. as well? Yeah. Just before it. That's interesting. The black glove that makes you wonder, makes you think that, isn't well, it? It's a murder. Chained, yeah. Well, yeah. it may not have been them. I liked when she was getting carried away by the own people and like her head tilted back and there was like the veil. It was like dropped. Yeah. It was just a very creepy... That's the dark thing. imagery. Like uh, really dark imagery. As well, with the, as well with the signal man again, it's... He talks about, you, you know, he's sitting there at the end of the tunnel. So as these bodies are being dragged out of the tunnel, he's just seeing them all, isn't he? Mm. And then the same with that, he's just he's just passively has yeah. to sit there and watch it. He knows something's going to happen, but he's he just has to watch. Yeah, yeah. Because I read the book, I read the short story quite recently, um, and there wasn't anything about the bride in it. I don't think. I think she was meant. I think they talk about the people who were in the crash. There might be a bride in the crash, but there was never like a specific, you know, yeah. bride is thrown from train moments. But mm-hmm. I'm glad that they did it because it's such a good horror moment yeah. as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? And like you said, it looks like something from a Hollyoaks wedding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it actually did look that way as well. I think when you go with something like wrecking a wedding day, like a bride, I think you talk Christmas, we're talking like brides, you know, all these things that are meant to be happy, and then you put a ghost story onto that and you yeah. put like death onto it and it's yeah. just it's jarring to see mm-hmm. the two things together and that's why it's so effective yeah so the signal moment was the sixth in the series and they would go out every year around Christmas some of them were on Christmas day some of them were on Christmas Eve was it just one a year one a year mm-hmm. yeah but that's a good thing to look forward what to what a great tradition I wish they still did it so you would have been like a just born when it just started yeah but do you remember any of them from when you were a little kid? I don't remember them specifically. I remember them being on. I mm. don't even know whether I actually saw them at the time because they might have been too scary for me. Yeah. Because um, I was only six when the Signalman came out. And they were on late at night as well. Yeah. I don't know. Because I did watch all sorts of... I knew of them. And it yeah. was always... A, you know, there was always that thing of, of Christmas um, ghost stories. And I, you know, I remember as a teenager getting given the MR James stories for yeah. Christmas yeah. one year so yeah. well, speaking of MR James should we move on to some of the other films yeah. that we've watched mm-hmm. so the signal one was my choice Stephen what was yours yeah, a warning to the curious a warning to the curious Martin chose Lost Hearts and Jonathan Butler um, The Treasure of Abatons okay leave Martin's for last you want to leave Martin's for last yeah okay uh-huh. mm. I like that one Okay, save the best for last um, Yeah, I want to um, go. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Martin's doing the uh, slightly camp. <laughs> more so sinister. Yeah. 
of the Costas movement <laughs> from the last part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first one so quickly but I'll, I'll just quickly I'll mention so my favourite I don't even know why I didn't choose this for the for our podcast but we can do it next year my favourite of all of them is uh, The Stores of Barchester which was the first in the series from 1971 but basically uh, The Stores of Barchester is one that's really creepy because that's a similar sort of setting mm. the way they play with shadows in it is amazing as well and it's basically about um, stalls in, in a um, in a cathedral and the wood is cursed so the things that are on the wood so there's a sculpture of a cat and that comes to life while it, he's like sitting there holding the, the sides of the wood and suddenly it turns into fear he's like what the hell is that I have seen it and then you. next time next thing there's a cat like he lives in this house by himself and there's a cat that keeps peering which doesn't sound scary but it is the way to do it and then one of the other things is a hooded figure like the Grim Reaper with a skull mm. and that keeps appearing with big long fingernails and they just like they come like over the shelter from behind and stuff it's really fucking creepy I was going to say that a change came over the carving but that seems to be attributing too much importance to what after all must be due to some physical affliction in myself. Um, but we'll, yeah, we can discuss that one next year. So this, they started in 1971. I should mention Whistle and I'll Come To You as well, because mm. that came in 68. That wasn't one of this series, but that has that inspired. It's linked really. with it, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be forever linked. That M.R. James as well, is it? Mm. Yeah, which I've watched as well, the original, starring Michael Horden, and I, I really didn't like it very much. Mm. Uh, I thought it was really dry. It's really slow moving, isn't it? And I remember I watched. I have watched that one with you, and I was extremely stressed. You were really time. very stressed because it was loud chewing and eating throughout the throughout oh, the yeah. film. He talks with his mouth. He keeps just stopping things yeah. in his mouth as, <laughs> as he's talking. Yeah. So, but they did remake that in two thousand and eleven or twelve. It's recently, wasn't it? With John Hare. John Hare, yeah. And the remake's actually Ooh, really good. So I think you'd like that. It's scary as well. But anyway, so that inspired, you know, more of a hunger for these sorts of films, short films. So Stills of Barchester was the first of the series. So the year after that, Lawrence Gordon Clark came back and directed another film in the series, and that was called A Warning to the Curious. Yeah. So that was 1972, and it went out on Christmas Eve at 11pm. So, um, yeah, yeah. Just in time for Father Christmas. And this is the longest one of the ones that we watched. Yeah, it was, yeah. So it would have took you right into Christmas. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's been so good. I feel like back then people really got into the horror of Christmas more than they do now. I especially think it's interesting that it's, if you're going to associate Christmas with, like, horror, the thing that does come to mind is a ghost story. Like, yeah. Even before seeing these, it's always that ghost story. I think it is probably the cuddled up by a fire. Yeah. Together with your family and scaring you. But I think that's quite interesting that it's that specific genre that goes to, I wouldn't, I mean, I know we've done slashes around Christmas last year, but mm. I think I that's think, what um, I think of. But if you, th- I don't know. There's something about there is something about this though as well. I suppose if you think about the that time, there was only there's only three television channels. Yeah. The very very early days, late sixties, and maybe have only been two TV channels. Yeah. And they there wasn't twenty four hour telly. There was mm. barely twelve hours of telly in mm. a day. So if something was on, it was on. Mm. Yeah. Don't spit. Well, that's how it was. <laughs> it just sounds <laughs> But now you've got like. You, you can't get away from television no. now, you know, and there's so, so there was something around, if you were going to watch something, well, you did really choose exactly. to watch it, because the television, you, quite often people would 
make ceremony of switching off the television mm. and having the television off all the evening mm. and yeah. all of those sorts of things. You didn't necessarily just switch it on and have it as background noise. So oh, 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Guess how many people tuned in to watch this that we're going to talk about now? Nine million. Oh my god! Nine million people watched. Suppose if you've only got one channel, that's all you can watch. Yeah. <laughs> but that just but shows you cool. how much more people would used to appreciate television because <laughs> they didn't have that much of it. Yeah, mm. and they made things like this that had real sort of um, gravitas to them. You know, do you know what was really scary about it as well? I only remember the tail end of TV channels ending overnight. But I'd stay up and watch the horror film, the late horror film, Hammer or whatever. One of the scariest things was if you got to stay up while your mum and dad went to bed or they were out drinking. And then at the end of the film, when the house is silent, then the TV channel ends. Mm -hmm. So there's no more sound to fill the room. So you're just laying there on the couch going, oh, I need to get up, switch off and run to bed really quickly (laughs) and jump onto the covers. Sometimes if they left the telly on they would just become white noise in the end. Like poltergeist. And, like poltergeist. And then the te- if you sometimes later on, your television would sense that that was what was happening and it would switch itself off. Yeah. Which is even oh, scarier. It does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was designed for the television. I love that it was <laughs> like, what the fuck? I love that we've taken the tradition of a Christmas ghost story and turned it into terrifying Stephen with days of yore. <laughs> <laughs> days without that's facilities that's and technology. Days before Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen's horrified that there was only three television channels and the and it went off at 11.30. It does Sleep sound creepy when you say it. <laughs> Sleep well. Don't forget to unplug your television. Before it unplugs you. <laughs> oh. Oh. So back to Water to the Curious. Yes. <laughs> Again, directed by uh, Lawrence Thingy Thingy. Um... Lawrence no, Gordon Clark. Lawrence Gordon Clark. It's got three first names. I know. Well, two first names is bad enough. We've got yeah, three. That's weird. <laughs> so it opens with a guy digging to find a crown, basically, doesn't it? So much like a lot of the other M.R. James films, it's about somebody digging for treasure and then regretting it. Yeah. So it was your choice, Stephen. Well, that was completely blind. Gratitude that I just kind of went from the synopsis on Wikipedia. Yeah. But I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah, me too. I think, was it Fighting Lord that they were going with? Uh, Anglo-Saxon, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. that not Viking. No, no, they're different people. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> More days of your for Stephen. <laughs> yeah, the old people with the funny hats. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so Saxons then, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked the whole setup of that with like the introduction of the past of like the history of it and there was three crowns and one went to war so one yeah kind of bad stolen by grave robbers wasn't it it. and then one lost in the earth like buried and it was like to keep the land safe and I liked that as a straight up like just given to you as a narrative to set you up and then I like that I like a good clean set up you know where you are yeah and I just instantly had you straight into like a lore and a history and like a ghost story straight away yeah. off the back and then it does, it's got some nice little misdirections and weird creepy strangers along the coast of Norfolk there persists an ancient legend it is said that in the dark ages when the Vikings were a constant scourge the three royal crowns of Anglia 
were hidden in the ground. The crown, so the legend runs, had a strange power. No foreign army would invade the kingdom of Anglia so long as at least one of them remained undisturbed. Since that time, the site of one crown has been plundered by thieves and its treasure melted down. Another has been covered by the encroaching sea. Only one crown now remains, lying somewhere in its royal burial ground. Yeah, I like the fact that it opened with a grisly murder. Yeah. Mm. No digging no here. No digging. Yeah. No digging here. <laughs> yeah. No digging here. Yeah, I, I like that. I was he like, didn't react to him very much, did he? Like, this man is like shouting in his face, saying "No digging, no digging, no digging," yeah. and then attacks him and he pushes him off and just turns his back to him. Well, you, you deserve to die for that. Yeah, you don't fucking look away from the guy who's just attacked you. Yeah, what yeah. do you think's gonna happen? It's these posh scholars. Mm. That's what it is. He's yeah. just thinking of he's just a nobody hick from the local town. He's a town if idiot. I, if I give him a good telling off, he'll leave me alone. Yeah. Well, he'll know his place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, I thought this was quite grim. Is it the hatchet, and it's like just an old, brutal, yeah. like heavy hatchet. And it, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think there would have been more blood if it was remade with that prop mm. these yeah. days, which would have been more real. Yeah, I don't like more bloods actually. I don't know. I don't think it loses anything because it has a It doesn't. No, 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 it doesn't. No, because it's not. Because it's not the. Because actually, that's not the scare. It's not the point. I don't think. Mm. What's the scare for you? The figure. It's just scare. Awful. Mm. Just awful. And Mm. it's such a symptom of that time on television that they would just use that that type of device to scare people, and it really actually works. Mm. Just just somebody stood out, stood in the distance, staring at you. It's or, scary. or worse, and I can feel the chill going over me now. Ooh. Them not just being still, but seeing them from a distance, and they're running at them really, really fast. <laughs> yeah, and don't yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna have to run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, after the murder, then we we jump forward twelve years, don't we? And yeah. um, and it becomes the story of um, Paxton, who is you guessed it, an academic coming to look for buried treasure. I just love everything. I love the location of the yeah, little inn. It's really good. Yeah. It's really atmospheric, and I really sort of want to go there, but I know there's not going to be any Wi-Fi. Mm. So yeah, thank you. You know, give two channels. Only two channels. Probably not much signal to get three G <laughs> or anything. Um, but I'd still quite like to. That's a scary Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Just take a book. I know. Yeah. But I don't know how to do books in advance then. <laughs> that Paul probably didn't have any vegan choices either. Oh, oh yeah. God, yeah. I'm going to have to start saying to you trigger warning, pre millennium. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, actually, what my favourite bit of all of these were? What? was like the shots, like really old, like a long time ago, and like everything's a bit grainy and like mm. washed out kind of. Yeah. Especially this one. old mm. TV effects that you don't see anymore. Everything's too glossy. I think if I saw this now on a glossy, sheeny TV. Like with that kind of mm. technology, I don't think it'd yeah. be anywhere near as effective. Well, I think before these, not everything, but but a lot of TV stuff, ghost stories, horror, fantasy, a lot of it was in studios, shot on video, mm. um, which made it look very much like an old TV show. Whereas these were all shot on film, so they made them look like they make them look like an old film. And yeah. there's a bit of a difference. It gives it yeah, much more atmosphere, I think, especially in this one. And I did like the fact that when I was watching them, it was snowing past my window. 
Oh yeah, it's, oh. yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I love, I do, I do love this. I think this was a great choice. I love the bleakness of the landscape, the isolation of it all, and also at the, on the in the box set, each episode comes with an introduction by Lawrence Gordon Clark as well, which is really informative. And he says that he made a he made a conscious choice in this one because he'd just been reading a lot of interviews with Hitchcock about um, the camera should tell a story, not the script. Mm. And he made a conscious decision with this one to make it more visual and less talky. And I think that really helps it because yeah. a lot of them are very talky and dry. Yeah. I think the bit with the shoes at the start, I loved that. That was really good. Yeah. Where um, he, he's unpacking the suitcase. The the poor black lord is helping him unpack, isn't he? And he spies his shoes. And he just, he just, they don't even have to say anything. He just, the camera just looks at them and they look at each other. And it, it's like really sad because he's looking at his old battered shoes. Yeah. And he's thinking, you know. This isn't like a, a you know a middle class guy coming out for a holiday. This is you know he knows that something else is going on. Yeah, because he pl- he plays it up like oh he's just a scholar off for a holiday at the weekend, mm. but you get straight away there's the, more to it. There's definitely it? more to mm. it. Yeah, yeah. And then when you find out later on what's actually going on, it's like yeah. that all makes sense now. So this was in the in the original story. It was set in like it was Victorian era, so the updates to the thirties for this mm-hmm. didn't they? So it was Depression era. So there's a lot of. Uh, reference to, references to that, isn't there? The war, the Great War, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the Great War. And when he meets the girl as well, so there's part of it, isn't there, where he goes, where he um, follows the, the the spectre through through the dunes, and then he walks past like a, an old house, doesn't he? And a mm. girl comes out and she says that, what does she say? We moved down here because Dad needed the work or yeah. something. Only didn't work house. <laughs> so there's lots of like poor. Mm. Lots of poverty all around, mm. really. So he starts to do a lot of actual digging around around the story of the crown, doesn't he? Yeah. And uncovers that there's a family who assumed the role of guardian of the crown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To the prevent Eagles. it being... The yeah, Eagles. the Eagles. Yeah. To prevent it being disturbed. And the relevance of the Great War was that, particularly at wartime, they want to make sure the crown's not disturbed because it, if it is, the country will be invaded. Mm. And the last surviving member of the family died during that time. Yeah. Having, having actually committed, I think, having committed that murder. So that's him, isn't it? Yeah, because he's wheezing yeah. and he's yeah. consumptive, isn't he? Yeah. And he yeah. doesn't look after himself. The priest is telling yeah. telling the the, uh, the traveller. Yeah. said if he'd looked after himself, he would have been fine, but he didn't. He spent all hours out on that, out, yeah. out on that beach. And I love that all. scene the, mm. where the priest's telling him the story. Mm. What what these what these films are really good at is they capture the joy of telling a scary story to someone else. Mm. So he, yeah. you, you, a lot of the time you find yourself watching somebody telling a story, which is really good. And I love that with the priest. I take it that is where your interests lie. As an antiquarian, I mean. Uh, yes, sir. I'm an amateur. You uh, know the legend well. Yes. They say two crowns were lost. But there was a local family who claimed to know where the third was buried. In times of war, the oldest male would watch to see that it remained unmolested. The last surviving member of the family took the duty upon himself throughout the four years of the Great War. It became an obsession with him, poor fellow. He haunted the spot night and day. You knew him? Yes, I knew him. He was a solitary, you know. No family or friends, no one at all. I was with him at the end. To little effect, I'm afraid. He died still haunted by his superstition in great distress. There was no one to replace him, you see. He was the last one to guard the crown. It upset him deeply. Was he uh, an old man when he died? 
No, he was young. He had a consumption. If he'd treated himself with care... Does anyone know where he watched? If they do, they don't tell. I'm not really a native, you see. I've only lived here 20 years. I sometimes wonder what my role is. I'm certainly not a father confessor. No, the secret lies buried with him, I should think. He was buried here? Yes. Over there, by the trees. Ager was the name. William Ager. Do you mind if I look? Well, by all means. It's very overgrown in that corner, I'm afraid. No one's been over there since he was buried. Forgive me if I leave you now. I'm a little cold. And then he goes and visits the grave, doesn't he? Yeah. And while he's looking at the man's grave... The man is on the beach watching him. Mm-hmm. And it's just really scary. He's just stood there staring at him. It looked to me like they had different people playing the figure at different points. There's some bits where it looks like it's a woman. So maybe it's done um, on purpose. Maybe they've switched it around on purpose so you don't know mm. who it could be. Because there's one scene where he's walking away and it, he's it's um once he's actually I'm jumping ahead of it, but once he's actually got the crown and he sees the sees someone on the path and it looks like Eger, will he make it from the stars? And it's just like, oh, but if he's been followed by the figure, because he's stood there with the hatches, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's the mist that just to make you think yeah, that yeah. he's going to get yeah. chopped up, isn't it? But then when yeah. he turns round and watches him walking away, he sees the figure yeah. following yeah. Baxter yeah. as well, and you're like, what's going on? Yeah. It's weird. It's really because the priest has been there for 20 years, and he says, I'm not a native. Yeah. <laughs> I've been here for 20 yeah. years, and yeah. it's a brilliant way of setting up that this is like a real. Old-fashioned old yeah. place where they don't accept anybody who's not been born there for generations, and that yeah. girl's only been there a couple of years. Yeah, and they're the only people who who actually acknowledge the family name of Ager, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. the the innkeeper has been there. He's born and bred, and he pretends he just doesn't know yeah. anything yeah. about it. Don't know. Yeah, no, there's no family of that name. Yeah, so that's another one where it's visually it's like. He's saying, no, no, don't, but then he spies the, the books on the table and it's got the three yeah, crowns on the front yeah. and he's just looking at it as if to say, you know, I'm not, I don't know what it is, but he's clearly yeah. seen the book and it's so good. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, you never see another soul actually, do you, other than, um, is it Dr. Black? Dr. Black. Dr. Black. Played that's, by that's... Richard! Yeah. Mm. <laughs> he, he is in a couple. Yeah, Does... yeah. So another person you see is the, um, like the, the, like the random... The taxidermy shop, isn't it? And he's fixing his doll. Oh, that's oh, weird. It's just so creepy. <laughs> I hate the fact that he's Sally, yes. is it? Susan. 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 Susan had a fall or something. Because I was like, yes, Susan had a fell and broke her arm. Yeah. And I was like, please do not name the fucking creepy doll. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely free. <laughs> so name it Susan. Just not well. Susan. <laughs> Susan. You may fall. Yeah. Oh. Um. So everyone's scary, and then um, I love how he goes from the like. Is it called Seaberg? Seaberg. Yeah. I love how he goes from the remoteness of Seaberg to the complete desolation of Thruxton. Yes. <laughs> to, to go digging, he goes from like one place that's got hardly anyone there to somewhere that's got nobody there. <laughs> it's just like so desolate, and I love how that sort of cold, stark, desolate beach and countryside. It's so quintessentially British as well, yeah. isn't it? And then when he goes and he's digging down the hole and he hears the consumptive cough up top and you just see a little bit of the guy's hood in the trees. Mm-hmm. Oh, creepy That's when shit. he finds the gun. And yeah. And yeah, that is. Well, he finds, he finds a skull first, doesn't yeah. he? And then he finds some random bit of metal. Which it's a trowel, isn't it? It's a trowel. So if you're an archaeologist 
and you're digging stuff up and you find a skull and a trowel I'd be Get getting I'd be getting answers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, he's, but he's not a real old humanist well, is he? Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But it was just. That bit was actually really intense. It was probably one of the scariest moments where you can hear him just then. I was like, get the fuck out. Um, yeah. Like, that was one of those moments where you do speak to Italian. I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> Move. Yeah. I quite liked his jumper as well when he was digging. It was, uh, very, it was very fancy. Very fancy. <laughs> yeah. Fancy fair isle jump jumper. I can't believe I never even noticed this fancy jumper. No, no. <laughs> that, so, that whole chase from there. Yeah. So he gets on the train. It's really scary. Mm-hmm. I was, I was yeah. a little bit white in the holes with the bits where he's right behind him. I was mm-hmm. like clenching my fist watching that. And then when he gets to the train and um, the porter says, uh, the porter holds the door open for yeah. someone else, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Thinking, yeah. So we know it has that. William Ager is there somewhere. Because yeah, it looks like that character is holding the hatches when he meets him. I was talking yeah. about before he's yeah. holding it. So I thought, is this going to be a fight? Because he's got a shovel and he's like, oh, is he going to fight him with a shovel? But Hatch a shovel fight? Yeah. yeah. But he just walked past him and then he sees the figure still following him. Yeah. Um, but we haven't seen the figure following him. Well, we have, but immediately before, it's like he's walking on his own. There's an image there. It's only when the, the farm labourer looks yeah. looks back when he's passed. Yeah. The, the figure's back there again. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's like the, well, the porter, isn't it? So the porter get, must get a glimpse of him to speak to him. A mm. Glimp, mm. Must get a glimpse of him to speak to him in the first place. But then suddenly he's not there, so you know that the the figure is just literally just coming and going. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah, because he's cleaning the shoes, isn't he? Says, mm. "Oh, I, I I thought you just came out." Doctor Black walked out, doesn't he? Says, "Have you seen?" Does that as well, yeah. So what happened to Paxton's firm? What was he a lawyer or? It was a clerk. It was a clerk, and it just folded. So he just decided to make the most of the time that he had, yeah, and the bit of money that he had to just come and find the crown because he he'd just been educating himself, hadn't he, around yeah. archaeology and stuff. Do you think he thought at the back of his mind then that he'd find this crown and be able to sell it? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. I that think he's set him up for life then. He's got his redundancy from his job or I don't know. Did he do redundancies back then? But he's, he's had his settlement from work and yeah. I'm going to find this crown and sell it and I'll be set up. And this, he does mention something about getting a sense of achievement, that mm. you'd have achieved something that nobody who is actually academic, that proper mm. archaeologist would ever have achieved yeah. and it doesn't matter it, it, it not mattering that he hasn't been educated that he hasn't got all the letters after his name yeah he's he's managed to do this when they haven't yeah he talks about that doesn't he says yeah. all, all the people with letters after the name you don't need stuff like that yeah although it is impressive that the first he goes to look for a book finds the book he's looking for a map he finds the map he goes out to the woods where he thinks it is First place he digs, he finds the crowd. <laughs> yeah, it's all very good. You should have gone much further in life. <laughs> yeah, with those. With that luck, you know, yeah. you should have <laughs> those skills. Should have tried something else. Now, I do have a question at this point mm. in relation to the story. Why? I think Stephen would understand me questioning this. Why, when you find a crown, would you do you not once put it on? Yeah. Put it He's on. having a mirror. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Got yeah. your fancy, Even when you, fancy jumper and your crown. Oh, and, yeah. Put it on. Look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Why he never does that, I don't I know. know. Even when he was running away, I was thinking, why don't you put the crown on? Because it'd be safe on your head. Yeah. And just rug. <laughs> yeah. It's heavy. You put the crown on and then pull your bedspreads up around your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then walk up and down like Freddie Mercury. Yes. yes. Why that never happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Somebody needs to dig up MR James. If I ever dig up a crown. 
<laughs> Even if there's a figure chasing me, I will be wearing the crown. <laughs> I didn't like the bit on the beach where he gets in the man in the way of that man who's painting. Doctor Black. Is it does that like he sees the figure there? Yeah. And he's like acknowledges it and then the figure disappears and went oh, the light plays tricks on you. Perhaps he wasn't even there. And I was like, He was there. Yeah. <laughs> you both just saw him yeah. and acknowledged him. The man was fucking there. That didn't make me laugh because I thought, well the light plays tricks on you makes you think that maybe it's darker than it is or maybe there's like, you know, Tied him when it's out, or so it doesn't make you think there's a man stood there when there's well, like quite blatantly. The fact that later on that the the landlord sees black, and so the figure can't take the appearance of other people. Maybe that's not actually Doctor Black. Maybe that's the figure fucking with him. So the the, the figure the, is painting. Yeah, another rug pull from Jonathan, <laughs> but oh. maybe that's it. I don't know. It's basically, it's basically. <laughs> I'm trying to get my head around what you Step just said. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Doctor Black, when he was painting, wasn't was really Doctor Black. It was actually the figure, and, and the figure was, was Doctor Black. Black. Whoa. <laughs> oh, I, you know what? I will say one thing about Doctor Black. I love the comments about London. But he's like, yeah, I, I, I'd rather be anywhere else than London. Yeah, <laughs> quite a great um, I never go there if possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly my sentiments. I like it. I like to leave it as well. Yeah. Um, I really, really shit myself in that scene with the lights, where the lights go out, and he's just got his torch. Yeah, and it's panning around the room, which obviously has been aped so many times since. It reminds me of like every scene in like Paranormal Activity films mm. and stuff, where you're just following a little thing until you get to the big scare, um, and. It's even scarier because when it's, William yeah, Aker appears on the floor, scare, it's, just a little, it's a glimpse. Yeah. He doesn't even go Rawr! or yeah. anything. He just gl- glances quickly and it t- cuts away. Because he's more bothered about the crown in the case than he is by the fella yes. at that point. Yes, that's true. It, that was a, such a creepy little scene. Just so good. I did feel the ending of this was pretty harsh. I thought it was really sad. Because he puts the crown back. I know. And then gets killed on you. I know. <laughs> oh, but you knew he was going to. As soon as he said, you're like, oh, put the crown back, and that, that'll be the end of it. And yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He won't make it to the end of this film. I just thought it was really sad, because he's obviously been through a lot. He's lost his job. He's thinking this is his big start, his big new fresh start. And he was, he was quite an innocent person. He wasn't a horrible person. And he made a mistake. And then he died. Mm. And he immediately regrets that mistake. Yeah. He takes the crown and almost immediately, yeah. you know, he's going to put it back. Because yeah. Yeah. he says, there's new, the second I found it, I've not been alone since I found yeah. the crown. There's always been someone with me once I found it. Yeah. And he won't even let Dr. Black touch it. Yeah, case yeah. Let Dr. Black even put it on his head. And, uh, <laughs> Dr. Black, I think, really was. I think he did. This is why he deserved to die, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Not share the crown. Don't share the crown. Yeah, this is the twist. The person who kills him is Dr. Black because he never let him wear the crown. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's just really fucking angry. You made me bury that crown and I didn't even get to wear it. That's the warning. The warning. The warning to the bike curious. <laughs> Another bleak, tragic ending, and then we get the hint that Doctor Black's being followed as well, don't we? Because when he gets on the train, the porter says, "Sorry, I thought there was somebody there." Yeah, I love the bit with his razor. Actually, I made a note of that. He's looking at the razor, and he's like, "I'm thinking, is he going to take the razor with him? Is he expecting, you know?" He's going too old up for a fight. Because he made a big point of him focusing on the razor, didn't he? No, no, he picked up the, the razor off the book. Yeah. I was the book. But the book, the name on it was Eger. Yeah. It was to say that he'd been in the, a guest. No, no, but it, that was 
Afterwards, when he came back from picking up the crown, he came back and the book had been slashed by mm. the razor. But before yeah. it, he's, he's having a shave, isn't he? And then on when he's on his way out to find the crown, he's staring on his razor. And I'm thinking, is he, uh. is he going to take the is he going to take the razor in case he's he's thinking of a fight or what? It was weird the way he just focused on him. Maybe they were trying to say something and I didn't get it. Maybe he's come here to kill himself if he doesn't find maybe the crown. That, maybe <laughs> that's it. That's mm. possibilities. Thinking if I don't do this, that's that's me other option. That's yeah. dude. That's the other possibility. That could be because it's just not bleak enough. No, <laughs> it's not bleak enough. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do an isolated country hotel to slash his wrists. If I don't, because his career is over and there's no Wi-Fi. There's no Wi-Fi. Or telly slashing his wrists. Yeah, Yeah, it could be that actually. Now that, now that you mention it, it could be. Couldn't it? I never thought of that until you just. Just it, as you, you were saying before, you, they made a choice to try and tell things visually yeah. rather than scripting. And I'm just thinking, why? Why would they show it then? It could be that. Yeah, because I was thinking, if you going if I was gonna have a fight, I'd rather have a shovel than a razor. Yeah, and he's got the shovel anyway. He's got the shovel anyway, so I'm thinking, no, take the shovel. But then obviously, it's maybe hitting that he's gonna kill himself. Yeah, maybe he was gonna take the blade from the razor, tape it to the end of the shovel. Yeah, that's probably. And use it like a um, shovel blade. Shovel blades, yeah, like a spear. Wow. It's a great thing, isn't it? That like in times where budgets are much less, and maybe what you could get away with on telly was it's less permissive age, but actually it lets you mm. just it, it it actually means that they have to write and direct and act things in ways that don't spoon feed you. Yeah, mm. and, I and that. actually that gives you so many layers because I would never have thought of. That, mm. but it's that's it's that sort of thing that means yeah. you can go back to it and just see things mm. yeah. in different ways all the time. And it's such a double ended, a double ended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a double ended, <laughs> double ended joy. And it was it's such a double edged sword. It's such a double edged shovel blade <laughs> because. Um, the thing that makes sometimes you watch these films and fall asleep is also the thing that's good about them because the quietness of them and the stillness of them I think it opens your mind a little bit I think there's, I think there's a bit more freedom in the storytelling because it's not so obsessed with being hooky yeah. or having mm. great CGI or anything like that it's just telling the story quite in a simple way really and your brain you have to pay attention more yeah, yeah you can't it, we've talked about this with other things we've watched where you can't you can't possibly double, you can't double screen because mm. you haven't got the luxury of watching something that's going to tell you when to pay attention, yeah. give yeah. you a signal yeah. when to pay yeah. attention. You have to pay attention all the time and oh, switch the off your phone. The action music's kicked in. About yeah. This yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a strange, there's a strange, strange noise that isn't yeah. a sound effect and is somewhere maybe sort yeah. of yeah. incidental music that's telling me something's going to happen. I didn't have to rewind a couple of times because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand what I'd missed. <laughs> Because mm. uh, you were on your Facebook. Maybe. Did you stop midway to take a selfie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just made some avocado and toast to take a picture on Instagram. Um, selfie with a crown. I'm gonna write a ghost story for Christmas about a selfie with a crown. <laughs> you know what Steve's asking for for Christmas though, don't you? Yeah. yeah. A crown with shovel blades. Double ended shovel blades. Treasure of Abbott Thomas opens with a seance where a medium is appear, appears to be having an orgasm. Sexy, sexy. Maybe the ghost is putting the worries up there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Sorry. I saw what I had to say. It had to be said. Yeah, so yeah it did. It did have to say it.
Is there to be nothing? Are we to have nothing from the spirits tonight? I'm sorry, Lady Dattering, but there's a presence which is hostile to a manifestation. Um, whose choice was this? Was the show? This was mine. I didn't really. I'd not seen any of them before, so it was just. Uh, okay. Sounded like it was about treasure. I thought that, that sounds good, treasure. Everyone likes, you know, Indiana Jones. He's trying to mm-hmm. come for my crown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, literally. And were you happy with your choice? Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, it was an interesting choice because it does that thing which I really like The Exorcist for, where it sets up. You get an expert. And even though you know that this is a supernatural film, yeah. you have the expert at the start saying, oh no, but these people are charlatans. So it puts it, it grounds it first and then gives you something supernatural. Yeah. So it's this, it comes from this position like of like, that, yeah. you know, we're showing you why it's real. And this, because, you know, your, your main uh, protagonist is this, oh no, this is all nonsense. We don't skeptic, believe in any of this. Yeah, the skeptic. So when the skeptic believes something, yeah. After he's just debunked something, you know, it's kind of, it's bringing it more yeah. into reality for me, which yeah. is great. I love stuff like that. Interesting that you called it The Exorcist. Why? Because I really didn't like you this didn't one. Like <laughs> 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 uh, I just didn't get into it at all. It's a hard one. I felt like, and this is probably going to piss a lot of people, you were born back in the 70s off, I felt like a poor man's Dan Brown book. Oh, that's really put there. That I'm not born in the seventies, but that pisses me off. <laughs> it, it, was, it was just like looking for clues and like old art glass and shit, and then it would find you down this trail to a thing. It's literally Dan Brown. Although it was probably about a hundred years before Dan Brown yeah. was even yeah. born, so well, Dan Brown did it better. So you mean Dan Brown copied it, and you, and it was in a more spoon feety way that you could enjoy? Is that what you mean? Because actually, Dan Brown has ripped off. Everybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm not actually. I enjoy the films and the books and the Takeo, but I'm not defending him. You shit. But <laughs> well, do you know what? I'll I'll sort of come down in in the middle really because I I do like this one, but it's not my favourite because I think it's a bit too dry. Hmm. Um, I think there's some really good moments to, at the start where the the beginning is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Slap cake. Slap cake. <laughs> slap cake. <laughs> no, no, the best. No, the best. Um, <laughs> the best. Some of the best lines come from who I named Lady Zachary. I'm not sure what her actual oh. name is. Yeah. Petty falls or slap cake. Slap yeah. cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't get a choice. Petty for <laughs> Janet. And she says we have a seance almost every evening after tea. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love the campus of those women. I love that Lady Zachary yeah. and Miss Punch Highcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> Mother, this is the Reverend Mr. Summerton. My mother, Lady Dattering. I'm most honoured. Miss Punch Highcliffe. Mrs. Tyson. Mr. Tyson. The Reverend Mr. Summerton is my tutor at Oriel, Mother. I've spoken of him often. Oh, yes, very often, Mr. Summerton. Peter has a great admiration for you. I'm sure he would fail in all his examinations if it were not for your assistance. Pity for Janet. Or slab cake. Well, I think I'd, r- I'd rather slab cake. Peter, dear. <laughs> I love that. That just made me think of, like, being you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the fact that Peter, the foppish son, is, like, obviously a raving queen. Yeah. Well. <laughs> the posh count, Galen. Yeah. I He's, like them. Yeah. 
Um, so, so the story is basically Peter sees that his mother, Lady Jackery, is being taken for the ride by a couple of charlatans. Yeah. So he goes to get his mate, who's like a, a scholar, shockingly. Mm, yeah. The Reverend Summerton, is that him? Reverend Summerton, to come and debunk them, isn't yeah. it, basically. Um, it was a really good scene. I like that. Scene. I love what, yeah. See, I am sort of with you on this. I do, but I do like it because um, I think the ending is so good. It's so scary. But I love the beginning, and then the research stuff kind of loses me a mm. bit because I think it's a bit too talky and dry. I know what you mean. As opposed to the last one we talked about, which was all visual and amazing. Yeah. For me, this is just a bit too back and forth. Posh mm. people talking about stuff, which loses me. And then it was literally back and forth between the thing, two sets. Like it would be in front of the window in the church, in front of the window yeah. in the church, and that was like the only two set pieces that they had. But I did like the monks hanging around in the background. Yeah. I thought that was quite creepy. Mm. There was always one monk wasn't there, sort of listening to them, and I thought that was that was quite creepy. Um, Gives you that like impression of like a sinister cult, like the monks. Because the basic plot is that this Abbot Thomas, heads was an alchemist, and yeah. he worked out how to turn base metals into gold, and then. He, he did a crazy loads of gold and hid it somewhere in the monastery. So this guy has spent years trying to find yeah. the gold that's been hidden. But he's trying to keep it from the monks because the monks obviously don't want him to find it. Yeah. Because they're protecting it. Yeah. And they're not the only things protecting it, are they? No. There's a so yeah, you have so you have quite a lengthy research treasure hunt yeah. moment with um. I, I, I do like the bit where he's taking the photograph. Uh, Summerton is such a skeptic; he doesn't even like cameras. Yeah, he doesn't even. Yeah. Yeah. there like the devil's work as well, doesn't he? He's like, oh, it's not quite right. And then he captures something on that, doesn't he? Which is like a face, which I couldn't quite make out. Yeah, I couldn't. No, I couldn't I mean, it's meant to be a face, isn't it? But the quality so it wasn't great. Yeah, Summerton says no, no, no. It's just, just, it's just a blemish. Yeah, it was like the face of like a hunchback in Notre Dame statue. It was it? Like, no, not like the actual hunchback. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was a gargoyle. Yeah, that gargoyle is really sinister. Which is creepy. And that gargoyle was one of the reasons they. So they, they, when they were looking for the locations to shoot him, it was the gargoyles that made him use that particular mm. parish. Mm. And you can see why, because mm. they're not really good. The faces are almost like. Um, have you ever seen. Um, uh, the 70s version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah lovely. there's a bit at the end with the two dogs with human faces oh there. that's weird that's what these gargoyles remind me of that's what it's got like, a bit of a human face to them um, but no I do, I do like it I just think it's a bit it is a bit more dry than the others we've watched possibly yeah I think that's why it's it starts off strong with like the debunking of the psychics I like all the um like the whistle when he hits him in the back of the head and the whistle falls yeah. yeah. and he speaks in Latin and stuff like that yeah that's it does he, 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 speak back. he speaks French and Latin so the two are supposed to be like a monk and he's like yeah. why don't you speak French or Latin Yeah, and like asks if people knew that he had a beard and that yeah. and it's like what's oh, common knowledge it's in the guard books and stuff like that and like all of that was really fun and interesting and then from there on in it just went dull like dull for ages no, I, don't, I don't think it's all. I, I like a treasure hunt. I've seen better treasure hunts. No, but this is, it's only half an hour, isn't it? Yeah. It's only, this is a short, this is one of the short episodes, isn't it? Like 35 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So to get all that into one, into mm. a short space of time, you've got to cut some corners, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. What did you think, ma'am? I did enjoy it, but actually I do, I do agree with Stephen. It did need the treasure hunt. It needed that as part of the story, because it is, the story 
I just wonder if they could have done it differently. Because it just did, yeah, there was just it just didn't do anything for you as a as a viewer. Mm. It could have been um, fun. They did it very literally. So mm. you, you you at one point there's like a minute of them with the trowel yeah, scraping paint off the, the glass and you just think And that sound that it goes fuck? through you as well, doesn't it? Why do we have to have a minute of yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. But the actual thing of the window and the and the writing on the window and what yeah, you know, what what's there you need you do need that. You need yeah. that as part of the you you need that as part of the story. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I did enjoy I did en- I did enjoy it, but it isn't me f- it's not me being my favourite of the yeah. four. I enjoy it. I love I love the music on it as well. Mm. I like the uh it's like choral mm. music, isn't there, which is always creepy. Especially it's very Christmassy as well, isn't it? I think where they go wrong with this treasure hunt idea is that it doesn't do what like a good kind of mystery film does, which is like it gives you just enough clues that you can figure out the answer to Yeah, you can what it is. You know you can get it literally a second before they say it on screen. And that always makes you feel smart that you've got mm. it. What is this? It's like Oh, look at that face. That face looks familiar. And then it's some gargoyle that we haven't seen. Yeah, you're relying on them to work it out for you. Yeah. And do you know what? I think it's also because it's too clever. Yeah. yeah. It's like you have to... It's almost... If you had... If you'd studied... <laughs> if you'd studied classics in Oxford and Cambridge in the 19th century, yeah. you'd have got this really, really easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think probably in adapting the story, they needed to sort of... Do much more adapt it, yeah, and make it a bit more. It's just making it accessible. more more dynamic as yeah. well, making the move around a bit more and stuff. For 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 me, for those scenes, it felt a little bit like you know when you're watching someone else have a conversation and mm. you're like trying to sort of get in a little bit on it, but you're not mm. like you're in on it. It felt a bit like that. Yeah, there was too much talking, but then I felt like the, the payoff was worth it because it scares me. It really scares me that bit. So so they go. So he he basically finds the treasure, doesn't he, in the tunnel. Yeah, they work out. They follow some clues. It's about those seven eyes or something. Yeah. So look for a, a grave with seven eyes. Yeah. And then he sees there's a tunnel, and then he heads down, and there's a stone with seven eyes carved into it. Yeah. And he chisels it off. Yeah. And then like a weird slime monster. So he gets attacked by a slime monster. Yeah. Which um, that doesn't scare me particularly. It's the it's the reflection of Abbot Thomas's face in the water, but like yeah. the manic look on his face, and mm-hmm. then. His cackling laugh and the big hand that comes after him and stuff. I find that really scary. And then the slime monster um, leads to a very funny moment for me where the maid uh, or the landlady is talking about <laughs> him leaving a suspicious trail on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she thinks it's because he's been using chems. <laughs> Basically, that's what she's saying. <laughs> so she's accused of having a chem sexology, basically. <laughs> and a Victorian Cambridge University probably was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do like there's some nice uh, the scene where he's got like a it's like a medical he's got like a skull or brain on a stand on his bench as near when he comes back yeah. after seeing it and he comes back in and he smashes it to pieces yeah. I was like that's a nice little metaphor mm. but it's obviously he's gone mad yeah gone mad he's seen this monster that he doesn't know yeah can't comprehend yeah I like the bit when he's up on the roof as well and he gets attacked by birds um, which is actually just the actor doing this with his cloak <laughs> but it was quite effective yeah um, but did you notice when the birds fly off did you see all the sorts of 60s semi-detached houses down on the then it was like very fleeting but that's because I live with Ben and you know this is all these things and we, re- we rebound it paused yeah. it and then put it on slow to see the houses and it was like that's 60s semi-detached yeah 
suburb houses, yeah. So, uh, and the ending is really good as well. Yeah, you get to someone's coming to see. Yeah. Someone's coming to see the Reverend and you're not really sure who it is. But it's it's interesting. It's the doctor. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Peter starts out as, as hating the charlatans. Mm. And then, but then he's the one who causes the downfall of um, Somerton at the end yeah. because he lies, doesn't he? So he his greed. Oh yeah, he sees the he sees the the suitcase, doesn't he, with mm. the gold? And then. so yeah, I mean, so basically, much like the last one we talked about, they go at the right, right. Well, okay, this treasure's being guarded by something. We need to put it back, and it will leave us alone. So he says to Peter, doesn't he? You need to put it back, and then but then Peter notices that there is actual real gold in the mm. treasure, so he doesn't. No. He lies to him and says, "Okay, I'll go and put it back." And then because of that, Somerton obviously gets his come up into the end, doesn't he? In that really creepy shot where you just see the thing walking towards him while he's sitting in his wheelchair. Yeah, because it looks like a doctor first, doesn't it? And then when it gets close to him, it's like a monk. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So is it maybe the monks? know what he's been doing and the monks were guarding it as well all along. Yeah. And you do get a final camp moment with Lady Zachary and um, <laughs> Mrs. Um, what's her name? Punch Highcliffe where she says it. I shall retire to the Dower House and live out my life in works of charity. <laughs> maybe um, it was maybe it was a time of low budget for BBC. Maybe they had to maybe do a short of a few quid. Possibly, so. yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just think because I think um, the other ones are embellished greatly, yeah. um, especially one of the curious. The stuff that's thrown into there to make it a bit more filmic and dynamic. So, I think it's a shame that he didn't do that with this one as well. Yeah. It's the same director, yeah. Yeah. but it could it could be down to budget. I do feel like um, he deserved to die. <laughs> he deserved to die. Yeah, because um, like he was, you know, being a paranormal investigator kind of thing, like going on this treasure hunt with his mate, and then when he decides to go down and find it, he goes by himself. Mm. Like he goes and gets to go by himself. He waits till the other guy goes away. Yeah. And goes in the middle of the night. I suppose <clears> so he was obviously going to steal that money for himself if he found it. So I think it's good on the other guy for going. Oh yeah, that's fine. I'll go and put it back, and then just taking it himself. So I? I suppose being a skeptic, he doesn't believe he's going to find it, does he? he thinks, no. He thinks oh, he's right. going to get there. Maybe a box of iron or something. Yeah. So why did he do it by himself? Well, seriously, I think he was kind of coming around. Struggling with it, wasn't he? It's all about. It's like much like The Exorcist. It's all about belief, isn't it? Mm. Although it's interesting that he's, you know, he's, he's a reverend and then he's telling people what's real and what's not. Yeah. It's like, oh no, don't believe that bullshit. Believe this bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very good at that, aren't they? Well, yes. well, yeah. One thing I did find quite interesting with this, I thought the pacing of it and like the, the story of it, it did remind me of a Lovecraft story. And then I looked into it and apparently Lovecraft was a big fan of M.R. James. Ah, okay. So that the pacing sense. of this and the way it was set out was felt to me like a Lovecraft story and yeah. it probably... Lovecraft copies them pretty much. Right. Yeah. The way the structure, you know, the way the, the most Lovecraft stories are structured, aren't they? Where it's like someone re- retelling the story, yeah. and by yeah. the end they'll go mad, and then you get back to the start. Yeah. And that's kind of what this one does. Yeah. So that was interesting, I thought. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. It's a shame they didn't do like the Lovecraft versions of these, of these sort of yeah. stories, because they would lend themselves to a sort of Christmas setting in a way. Yeah, because they're short stories. Well, yeah. they say that. Um, M.R. James is one of the biggest influences of Lovecraft that doesn't really get talked about. Yeah. So he, he was a big fan, but... Okay. Interesting. And I, and I did see quite a lot of it in this one. Mm. Especially, like, the monsters as well. The monster that remarked as one, uh, the thing on the doorstep. Yeah. Which is about that. And it's like a monster that arrives at the doorstep every yeah. night and knocks on the door and freaks yeah. him out. And yeah. he goes mad. Yeah. And then the fact that he smashes the brain is like, you know, his sanity's being shattered. So I did see little bits of that in there. Yeah. 
which I enjoyed. Interesting. Christmas Day, Half Eleven, nineteen seventy-three. We have Martin's, Martin's choice of film. You fiendish little thing, you. <laughs> uh, and what's your choice? And um, my choice was Lost Hearts. This is quite a simple story. This actually isn't it, and it's not a very, it's not a very long, um, it's not a very long episode. Yeah. Um, but it's about a young boy, Stephen. Elliot. Master Stephen. Master, Master, Stephen. Stephen. Master Stephen. Yeah. And Master Stephen, you know. My, like my bank cards all say Master Stephen. Oh, I thought you were giving us an insight. I thought you were giving us an insight into your recon profile. Yeah. Well, that's another thing as well. Dominique okay. Top. Dominique <laughs> Top. <laughs> Diamonique Top. Diamonique Top. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> so Master Stephen and his... Um, his amazing top hat <laughs> has, oh, yeah. has yeah. lost both his parents, which is quite careless. Um, <laughs> that was what um, isn't that it's, it's Oscar Wilde from the um, importance of being earnest to lose one parent is unfortunate to lose both is is um yeah. is, is reckless or something. <laughs> so he's a young orphan boy and he's being whisked off to the countryside to live with his. Much older, much, co- older much, much older cousin, <laughs> Mr. Abney. Pedigree and Abney. And he's a reclusive alchemist, but he just seems to study anything and everything, and that's part of what he says he does. Yeah, he just like. Yeah. He studies children, doesn't he? Well, yes, he <laughs> particularly like takes in children. He's an old bachelor who's partial to children. Yeah, yes, it's the exact, the exact yeah. description. Yeah. That's the exact yeah. That doesn't like ring red flags. <laughs> like, and Stephen isn't the first orphan. To have been taken in, it makes you wonder whether he is actually a cousin uh, at all. Okay, yeah, I did um, think he was. Mm. That would make more sense because you were thinking that is quite the age gap for cousins. No, but you can't the age gap. But I just think what's well, that huge? Sort of like being, you know, I mean, the servants seem quite don't seem the servants seem quite innocent. They don't seem in on the. Oh, I don't know. Do you think? I feel like she was. sort of halfway through, cool. I thought that she was so cheerful about everything. It was a bit suspicious, and there were certain things she didn't like to talk about, especially on All Hallows Night. Oh, she was going to lock her door, wasn't Mm. she? So it turns out that Mr Abney has had two other children there, a girl and a boy, Giovanni and Phoebe. Yeah, Phoebe the Gypsy Girl. Phoebe the Gypsy Girl. And Giovanni's a young Italian boy yeah. with a hurdy-gurdy. With a hurdy-gurdy. <laughs> I feel like Giovanni reminded me like a hipster lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love when Mrs Bunch is talking about Giovanni and she says, oh, that poor boy, he were a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> and she saw how strange those foreign nations were. Uh, I didn't know a hurdy-gurdy was actually a real thing. I just thought yeah. it was something that people said, like hurdy-gurdy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It lends itself to that. 
and unruly lots of those foreign nations. That's it, yeah. Um, well, and they are. To some, to some Bring reason. on Brexit, I'd say. Some <laughs> I don't know. Some brilliant dialogue. There is amazing, there is amazing dialogue. I've saved up my nonce voice, especially for one piece of dialogue. So there's one bit of dialogue that, <laughs> that he says quite early on, Mr. Arpney, to Stephen, um, which is, to some who are chosen, immortality is given. And so he's obviously chosen, choosing these, there was something about it, it just made me think he's choosing these children in particular, right. and to come and live with him. And there is a sort of a there does appear to be a bit of a coincidence, doesn't there? Because the two children who previously were with him disappeared, and they were both about twelve years yeah. of age. Yeah. And Stephen is eleven and is going to ch- turn twelve on Halloween. Yeah. Mm. It's, he's a scholar. So he, he writes it down. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <down> <laughs> I think if you have to write down someone's age. <laughs> You're probably not that good of a scholar. That's true. I like when he shakes his hand and says, fine, firm hand, warm blood, strong pulse, excellent. <laughs> From there on in, you should be like, this is a bit weird, this I don't really weird. want to be here. Poor Stephen's got nowhere to go. There's no, like, it's not like he can hop on a bus and yeah. get out or get an Uber or anything. Yeah. He's coming in like a carriage, yeah. which has dropped him off and there's nothing else around, is there? Yeah, he's gone for a walk to explore the gardens and down by the lake and the river and... Yeah. There's nobody around except he thinks he sees something and he yeah. goes chasing after this figure, doesn't he? So and again, isolation is what makes it so scary. Isn't yeah. it? He's on his own, really. People who are around him aren't going to help. No. He's down by the river and sees reflection of and thinks of Phoebe and it appears like she's in the, in the tree and yeah. he climbs up the tree to try and find her and doesn't yeah. find her. But then she suddenly appears and gives him a fright and he falls off the tree. Yeah. I didn't like... Why were you up the tree, Stephen? I don't know, but I did not like the way that the character was called Stephen because I've never really watched anything where someone was called Stephen. I don't remember ever seeing anything with, and he says his name a lot. Stephen. So I kept just being like looking <laughs> up at the screen, like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> they talk to me. And then now we're talking about isolation and nothing around me again, and this is just my horror story now, isn't it? <coughs> I think. Um, there was a good moment in the library, which I was like a good old fashioned library, oh, with like yes. a ladder that moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just always fun. Ladder on wheels. Yeah. You know, you're in for the good. Yeah. Uh, but I loved about really good is that he's talking about someone and he says they, they were able to fly, and then he like jumps. Oh. <laughs> and then he goes, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. There are moments, there are moments where you think to yourself, is he just a bit a bit of like an overgrown child mm. and am I being a bit cynical here? Are we all MJ? Yeah, is he, is he, because it's like he's reading Pizza Pan or something, isn't mm. he? And he's like, he decides he's going to try and fly and he can't. Not yet. And um, you do laugh at him and you think there's something a bit cutesy about him. Uh, that's, that's the point. He's supposed to be unsure of is yeah. this guy sinister or is he just... Yeah. I believed him for a little bit except for the fact that I knew I was watching a ghost story so I didn't believe him. But so like, you knew yeah. that, yeah. Both his character could be good for the yeah. first little bit, and then it, yeah. as soon as you start seeing kids with fingers to the list, lips. Well, yeah, and then the fact that he like procures boys and brings yeah. them home. So the line, <laughs> the line is when when she says, "Oh, master found him playing his hair to Gertie," and like he procures and brings him home, and he, he says to her, "Both parents dead and only twelve. And he was like, jackpot. And you're like, oh my God. But you know what's interesting though? This film was made 
in the pre-Savile world. Mm-hmm. It was made when media, the media wasn't saturated with stories of child abuse and paedophilia and all that. It was all going on at that time in that Jimmy studio. Savile was at the peak of his career. In that studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But that wasn't on people's minds. No. So when people were watching this, they weren't watching it the way we watch it. So the minute yeah. the minute we see an old man and a young boy in the same scene, even if they're not even talking to each other, yeah, <laughs> half the time they're going to go, oh, I mean, there's, a scene, there's a scene where he drugs his drink, and I'm like, yeah, this was the BBC in the yeah. 70s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on the wall, <laughs> behind the scenes. This is yeah. a documentary. This is how you get work. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is how he got the job. Uh, I shouldn't say how he killed himself. But, um, Shit. Mm, um the boy when he grew up he died of, it didn't not suicide he, yeah he died of a drug overdose at a very young age oh. in the 80s I think oh. yeah well, this isn't looking for me is it? <laughs> no <laughs> um, you might want to edit out my joke then <laughs> <laughs> that was in poor taste nah <laughs> it's never stopped us before has no. it <laughs> so when we watch it we're watching it like with our with our paedophile heads on it <laughs> sounds wrong <laughs> as well <laughs> We're on non-swatch, basically. <laughs> You've just made me think of where's all coming. <laughs> where's all coming? And it's nonsense. Because <laughs> he had a head for different every occasion. He does, yes, yes. Anyway, his non-head look like Jim Savile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where's all coming? Have you ever seen it? It was a kids show in the eighties. And he was like a scarecrow that like ran around with kids in a non nancy way. In a non nancy way. But he yeah, had a different course. head, so he could put a different head on for each each scene. Each mood or okay. occasion. Okay. Which is where the nonce head joke comes from. It was on yeah, channel, yeah. it was on channel four. It's probably quite creepy if you watch it now. Probably because we're all cynics. <laughs> well, yeah. Terrible, terrible age. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get off <laughs> anyway. Um Let's go to fictional horror. Yes. So the children start to appear more prominently, don't they? Because actually we get a first glimpse of them when poor Stephen is in the carriage innocently being whisked away mm. to Mr. Abney's yeah. house. Like and he sees two children in the um in a field and they raise their hands and point in the opposite directions which he's travelling. Mm-hmm. That's all that you see. But then they start to appear more and more, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, you know that scene, that opening scene, that was just that was just a lucky shot because they, they shot in November, and they shot at dawn, so all that fog and everything was it was just real. Wow. Everything was just like perfect shooting. So they, oh, that's cool. they just set the camera up and let the horse and cars emerge from the fog. Isn't that great? That's yeah. So they, they appear more, and even with their like glue on false finger, false long fingers, they're still really creepy. Yeah. yeah. No. That- me Does it scare you? Yeah. Out. Yeah. I don't like creepy kids anyway. Yeah. But I genuinely find this terrifying. The motion of them. <laughs> the way the motion is so creepy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was horrible when he walks into the room and picks up his hairy gurdy and then like. That he was definitely playing. But I think that just still made it more creepy. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. wasn't playing it. And then walking. Walking like head like his heads his yeah. head swaying. Oh, it was so creepy. And then yeah. he goes into the bathroom and the other ones sit on the floor and the both of them are just doing yeah. this head tilty thing. Yeah. Oh my god! Can you imagine? So that would have been Christmas night at midnight by that point, and you'd have been full of sherry on the couch, <laughs> half asleep. Can you imagine seeing that on the telly? I would shit yeah. myself. Definitely. 
Oh, if you live with Mr. Abney, and it was your birthday, you want to give us some pause? Yes. For your, for your birthday cake and some pause. I'm ripped your like gown open, that's <laughs> a stroke in your chest. chest. <laughs> chest. chest. Yeah. Oh, God. But the kids, back to the kids, there's something very Salem's last about them, isn't there? There is, mm. definitely. That's what it made me think of. Because they appear at windows and... Yeah. Yeah, so when he's outside, isn't the first time mm. he sees them properly as, well, other than the in the cart, they're up, out in the window, aren't they? Yeah. Look and I think Mr. Abney can see them, Corny, because he they appear to him yeah. at times. Mm. Yeah, because he's, yeah, he's guilty of it. Yeah. He tells them to go away, mm. and like, no, no. But I like the bit where you see them and then you do the reveal to say that the hearts are missing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that reveal is really good. It's yeah. really effective. So does he eat children's hearts to stay alive? Is that what we're thinking? I... Th- well, I think he has... He burns them, I think. I think he burns them because he has a ceremonial bowl which he has burning embers and a very, in, doesn't he? a very glamorous ceremonial robe. <laughs> a very glamorous um, ceremonial robe. Yeah. It's a house jacket. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a house jacket. Yeah. But <laughs> I was a bit unnerved with my uh, paedophile alert head on because it was quite loosely tied and I was just thinking that's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a disaster waiting to happen. It's going to fall open yeah. at any given moment. Yeah. Mm. Oh dear. Um, so he had his ceremonial bowl, uh, his, his sacred bowl and the ceremonial <clears throat> dagger yeah. as well. So I think he burns them and there's maybe something... He adds something to the sherry, doesn't he? So he drugs the port. He drugs the port. But I wondered whether that was something connected with the ceremony as mm-hmm. well, not just like putting the boy to sleep, but that had something to do with the, the spell for immortality, because that's what he's trying to do, isn't yeah. he? He's trying to be become immortal. Yeah. And he's sacrificing children to become, to to live so he can live forever. Yeah. Well, you know. It's before Botox. It's before Botox, but actually it completely, it goes against what he says at the beginning of the programme, which is saying to some who are chosen, immortality is given, but he's not being chosen, he's choosing, so no wonder he's... I think what he was saying was that immortality was given to the kids, Uh, because he's chosen them and he's taking yeah. their pathway, uh, so they're living on it as ghosts. Um, they're not at peace, so they just, yeah. They live on through him, yeah. Right, so it's more of a, more of a sinister kind oh, of threat yeah. than yeah. what he's going to do. 
Did you know Mr. Abney's movements were based on Dr. Caligari? Nice. Yeah, that's how, that's the wow. That's the director told the actor to move in that way. That's brilliant. In the interview on the on the DVD, the director says that for him, the idea of child abuse or anything like that never ever it was never even on his mind once when they were making the film. Um. And he said for him, it was always about the horror and the monsters, the children fear. So it was all about like what if your parents or the person who was meant to be looking after you was actually a monster. He said mm. that that's what it was supposed to be about for him. Um, and you can see that. I think you can definitely see that. It's more recent times. You, you weren't, people weren't looking for child abuse. Yeah. But I think yeah. the best kind of art is when it, it doesn't necessarily mean it to come across like that, but to us it does come across like that. So that's, that's interesting that we've added our own layer it's to it. It can't possibly not, can it? it? Because the horror for children of their parents becoming a monster, it can't help but parallel child abuse, can no. it? Because no. that's the reality. Yeah. That's the, the yeah. reality of it. Um, I want you to be famous. You go and spend a weekend with this man. Yes, <laughs> that's that's about as monstrous as a parent. Yeah, can get yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to lower the tone. No, no, but it's yeah, true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 Um, but so this one stands out from the others, doesn't it? Because it's quite um, it's quite bloody in a way. Yeah, it's a bit more graphic than the others. Uh, a bit more grisly, mm. um, and it's more simple and just more shocking and scary. But it still happens to be a MR James story as well. It's mm. just a good thing. Um, but I, I loved it. I loved it. I think mm. it's, it's a real shocker. It's, it's hard. I'd never seen it before, but I just yeah. chose because it sounded like a good story, and yeah. I think it was a very lucky pick on my part yeah, to to, to, have, um, to have got a story that was so that was so good and a film that was so so utterly terrifying. Yeah. Definitely, it's one to and watch again, isn't it? In a different way, yeah. not a horror creepy, but just like yeah. sinister in a completely different yeah. way. I think the League of Gentlemen were taking notes from this. I mean, they took notes from all of them, didn't they? Mm. But um, you can see a lot of their characterizations, especially on like Pedigree and Abney and, you know. Hurlip, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Hurlip, yeah. yeah, I never thought. Um, so, yeah. No, but it's this was my favourite of the ones we watched. I thought it was just genuinely really creepy. Yeah. Um, and the vibe it gives me is um, it reminds me of like the Doctor Who episodes whenever they tell ghost stories mm-hmm. and especially the Christmas stories I really have a very similar vibe to what this one felt like Okay. and considering it's more Gus's favourite I think there's definite like, uh-huh. influence going yeah. into there yeah you can definitely see that the, when Doctor Who's good it's, yeah. it's it's very it can be very much like that okay. and that's what yeah. it reminds me of my favourite episodes mm. of Doctor Who is where it's been like a ghost story and it tends to be this kind of vibe yeah. that you get across and it's this mm. kind of movement and I feel like that's what it is mm. and when I was looking into that to see if he did that directly said that he'd used it he, um, one of the episodes of Doctor Who was called A Ghost Story for Christmas uh, right. I which see. is and actually that one's about the that was the introduction of the Weeping Angels in oh. uh, well, Doctor Who, which is by far the creepiest. Yeah, horrible. Never seen it. Genuine, they're actually Just a stopped. really good yeah. ghost Stop. story. Yeah. Like, not a ghost story, but kind of. It's yeah. horror. It yeah. is horrible. Yeah. You could watch that one episode standalone and it would be yeah. a really good horror episode. Okay, cool. There was some, for, well, say funny, but it was um, Ab- Ab- Abney has this ancient artifact that he stores just off the fire. It's like this. Uh, this is ancient scroll full of magic spells, 
I keep it above the fire. That's not going <laughs> to <happen. laughs> That's not going to end badly. No, it's not going to end a disaster. <laughs> and he, some, he says, he, he tells him to come down at midnight. Mm. Um, and he you, you keep this between us, this will be a man's secret. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. 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 And I'll tell you your special fortune or something. Yeah, yeah it was very creepy. It's, it is I a funny like creepy um, like I liked the old woman, and yeah, I can kind of see what you're saying about her being a bit... Maybe she was a bit too happy. But I didn't like the other man. Like the, yeah, the it was weird. I, I thought... The strange forehead. He yeah. did have strange forehead. There's always the male... The male servant's always... Always... Weird and always grumpy and grumpy. Yeah, and he snitches on him for like calling him or something. Do. He didn't say anything. I was like, you little bitch. Yeah. They always do. When you're whisked off, when we whisk you off to the countryside to live with your older cousin, okay. just, just, cousin. Accept it, <laughs> just accept that the servant's going to be grumpy and going to snitch on you. I, you I, be I, I was expecting the story to go somewhere, but it doesn't really. No. Does it? It kind of hears noises in the cellar, and then you think, oh, is he going to be the one who runs in and saves yeah. him? And then it's totally not. Yeah. Well, I think it is meant to be. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think it's they know more than what's going on, and they're just not going to talk about it. Cause yeah. She talks about the lights and the will o' wisps. Yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. which I like it talking about that. I think they kind of lived with that man for that long and watched those children come yeah. and go without without thinking something. Well, they say that she says doesn't she? Oh, he, he went in the night and we never see him again. Yeah, because yeah. twelve year olds just leave at midnight yeah. Yeah. all the time by exactly. themselves, and you just take. The other man's word when he goes, oh yeah, he just left. Yeah. Yeah. Two of them. When he um, rips open his, his, um, the boy's shirt and feels his chest, he says, your heart beats wildly and yearns to be free. Oh. 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 Wielding the knife. You uh, listeners should know that both Martin and Stephen have recreated the moment where the children walk with, the, with their arms crossed across the chest. Yeah. Oh, I recreated it last night. <laughs> On the couch with my boyfriend while singing the Hurdy Gurdy song. Did Matt like the film? Um, he did, but he does think that I should need to stop watching these programs because they're about influence of. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I don't know. Did he? <laughs> Bored or scared? He just he just saw me put it on. And he, I think he saw it, the quality of it and walked out. So I was like, oh, okay. This isn't in HD. I'm not watching it. Yeah. Now. Oh no! I did yeah. like as well that it was kind of it gives you it leads you down one path and thinking that the ghost kids are going to be the threat. Mm. Um, it's mm. not to around, isn't it? They're actually trying to help them. They're trying yeah, to save yeah, them. Yeah. And I was like, they were still creepy as fuck. Yeah, I, would, I do not want your help if you were that creepy. No, but that's the thing. I, suppose I would rather just get me heart taken off. Thank you. They were really, really, really creepy, but I loved that he got his comeuppance. Yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. It was a ha- so this is one of the few with a happy ending. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it? The protagonist. A funeral. A funeral. Oh, it's a happy end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone who loses a heart and it's dead happy. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The villain's dead, but the but the the boy Stephen is still alive, right. isn't he? He's, he's, he makes it. Yeah. Master Stephen. Master Stephen. Yeah. And the creepy children skip off into the, the yeah, into yeah, the building. Yeah. So the sounds of a head to get. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the way they ran away together. That was cute. There's a good line to start where it talks about when the kid goes missing. And said they had the dykes dragged. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've made a note of that. You said that now, that would mean something totally different. They yeah. <laughs> had the dykes dragged. It just made me think of all the times I've seen lesbians fighting in the Lisbon. But then, like, Ragnar probably did was throw at him, like, a fork thing. What do you yeah. call them? Like, a ray. And just, like, drag dragging through it. I was like, that's how you drag a ray. You literally drag it. Yeah, but. 
What did you know? They could do it now. They do like nets. Or Suppose if something's on the bottom, when you're pulling it, it'll catch and you pull it. Is that like? That's where it's from. Is that what they do, yeah. That's what the term. I thought dre- like I think of dredging like. That's, that's different. That's, that's different than that's nets, isn't it? And stuff yeah, that's like right. Dredging is yeah. where they get the where they clean the bottom of the lake. Right. Where they clean the bottom of a canal or a river to get the silt up, and they take the silt away. Dragging is literally you are looking to see what you can grab can from the bottom. Get like a dead body in there. Yeah, oh, that's really Ooh. yeah. It's the eighteen fifties. They've got a. A huge police force. Don't go scuba diving for it instead. No, no. they couldn't use like any sort of GPS or. Um, there was no telly. What was his last there tweet? Was, <laughs> there was no electricity <laughs> at all. It's just like a completely different world. My mind is blown. Well, Stephen is suitably creeped out for the evening. What about you? Have to you? Re- read your Kindle by the light of two candles. <laughs> <laughs> Kindle candle. <laughs> <laughs> Rechargeable electronic pants. <laughs> 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 that. I'll be on Amazon next year. So, are you a fan of MR James? Why don't you tweet him and tell him um, you can't eat dead? <laughs> I was so confused for a second. <laughs> oh dear. So, Stephen is baffled, confused, and terrified, and we hope you are too. Are we done with the notes? Mm. I think so, yeah. I think the only other notes I made on this film, probably shouldn't say them. <laughs> Go on, what no, just, it's just the whole BBC and... Oh, right, yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> probably probably for the best of us, I'm saying. Especially when he drugs drink. Oh, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um... He's about to go on the dead kids as well, isn't he? But anyway. Um, <laughs> we're freaked Stephen out with, day, with our talks of Days of Yore. Um, mm. We hope we've given you a little shiver up the spine as well. If you have any feedback for us, please tweet me at Johnny Larkin or you can tweet Stephen Moore. HSteve99. You can tweet Jonathan Butler. Uh, Cthulhu502. How are you going to get in touch with Martin now? You can find me in the signal box in the Unnatural Valley. <laughs> <laughs> the Unnatural Valley. We've all been there, Martin. We've all been there. We've, We've all, all been, been in the Unnatural Valley. <laughs> <laughs> we actually do wish you a Merry Christmas, actually. Uh, it's, it's also our birthday episode, this, isn't it? Um, so it's our, it's our official two years. Two. Yeah. Terrible twos. What, does, what, what date did our first episode go out? Was it Boxing Day? Christmas Day. Christmas it was day. Christmas Day, yeah. It was actually Christmas Day, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Merry yeah. so Christmas, happy birthday. Not only was uh, the, the Christ child born, but we were as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to bring about some sort of rapture, hasn't yeah, it, eventually? <laughs> um, we will be back in 2018. Um, we've, we've got lots planned already. Um, but as always, we would love your feedback on any suggestions. Oh, also, I forgot to say, our, um, our mega fan, Patrick Maguire, um, got in touch to say a, a big fat yes to Showgirls. Oh, fab. Okay. So that's one person. That's a cause for celebration. <laughs> that's brilliant. So that's one person who wants Showgirls. You made our Christmas there, Patrick. Um, so does anyone else want to hear us talk about anything else that is off the trash spectrum that might not necessarily be horror because we're up for it. Mm. Yeah, and I'm just going to point out I've never seen Showgirls. Oh my god. I've, I've also been deliberately avoiding it in case we do decide to cover it. Well, then I, I think. I can only insist then that we watch Showgirls together. Yeah. 
and then do the podcast straight after. That's enough to give you Christmas nightmares, isn't it, everyone? <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it. We don't want you to have any nightmares. Probably yeah, do. We do. We do. <laughs> Probably do. <laughs> Just listen hours. Can you... Listen, everyone, quiet a sec. Can you hear that? That's a tapping on your bedroom window. <laughs> <laughs> it's not snow. It's the nails of tiny little children with no hearts. And they want yours. So, yes. Go and let them in. Give them a sherry and a mince pie. And we will see you in 2018.